Hello, I'm Dr. Ling Huang, and in this episode, I will be discussing about protein structure. By the end of this session, you should be able to describe the four different levels of protein structure and to be able to correlate disease states to different changes in protein structure. Now, why is protein structure important and why do we need to study it? There are many genetic diseases that result in proteins that carry mutations in their amino acid sequence, and this can cause improper pro protein folding as well as abnormal protein function. Now, when the protein misfolds, this can cause aggregation of the protein and amyloid formation, which can then result in neurodegenerative diseases. There are many different types of proteins in our body. There are digestive enzymes in our stomach, such as amylase, lipase, pepsin, and trypsin. These help us to digest our food by catabolizing nutrients into amino acids. There are proteins that are involved in transport, such as hemoglobin, that are involved in carrying oxygen throughout our body. And there are as well structural proteins such as actin, tubulin, and carotene. And these, and these make up the cytoskeleton in our cells and tissues. Now let's now look at the four different levels of protein structure. There is the primary structure, the secondary structure, the tertiary structure, and the quaternary structure. And the linear sequence of the different amino acids contains instructions for the polypeptide chain to fold into a 3D structure that determines our protein function. First is the primary structure. This consists of a linear sequence of the amino acid residues joined by the peptide bonds to form a polypeptide chain. Each peptide chain starts with the amino terminus, which is the N-terminal residue, and ends with the carbonyl terminus, which is a C-terminal residue. Peptide bonds can also form hydrogen bonds to make them water-soluble. And the primary structure can contain disulfide bonds between the side chains of cysteine residues between the same or different polypeptides. The polypeptide chain then falls into either alpha helices or beta sheets in this, to form the secondary structure. In an alpha helix chain, repeating carbonyl and amino groups are held together by hydrogen bonds every four residues apart. This forms like a corkscrew structure, whereas beta sheets are repeated hydrogen bonds between adjacent polypeptide strands. And the polypeptide chains can be parallel in the same direction or antiparallel in the opposite direction. The side chains are then extended outside of the alpha helix chain or the beta sheet. And these secondary structures can occur in both fibrous as well as globular proteins. Now the tertiary structure determines the 3D conformation of the protein. This is when the polypeptide chain falls into a combination of secondary structure domains. These domains determine the functional 3D structural units of the polypeptides. The tertiary structure is formed by hydrophobic and electrostatic interactions between amino side chain groups and by hydrogen bonds between peptide bonds. And when globular proteins fold, they contain a hydrophobic core on the inside with polar amino acid residues on the outside of the protein, forming a hydrophilic shell. When multiple polypeptide subunits interact with each other, they then form the quaternary structure. 
when the polypeptide subunits are the same, they are called homo, and when they're different, they're called hetero. These polypeptide subunits are held together by non-covalent interactions, such as hydrogen bonds, ionic bonds, and hydrophobic interactions. And when a monomer containing one subunit combine together, they can form dimers, trimers, tetramers, or oligomers. Now, the purpose of assembling into a multi-subunit structure is to increase the stability of the protein, as well as increasing the number of interactions to make the protein difficult to unfold or refold. It also aids in the function of the protein and increases cooperativity between different subunits for its activity. One such protein containing such a quaternary structure is the protein hemoglobin. It is a tetramer containing four polypeptide chains, two alpha chains and two beta chains. Now in patients with sickle cell disease, this is caused by abnormal hemoglobin structure. This happens because of a single amino acid substitution in the position six of the beta chain where glutamic acid is replaced by valine. This then changes the primary structure sequence. Once the sequences change, hemoglobin starts forming long and inflexible chains. These hemoglobin molecules form, start forming long fibers that then distort the biconcave shape of the red blood cells. The shape of the red blood cells then change to a sickle shape. In normal red blood cells, they are compact and flexible, allowing them to be able to squeeze through easily through small blood capillaries. However, in sickled red blood cells, they become stiff and angular, causing them to become stuck in small capillaries, which causes arteries to be clogged with these sickled red blood cells. This then results in a lack of blood flow, leading to hypoxia and tissue damage. Now we have talked about hemoglobin protein. This is an example of a globular protein conformation. Globular proteins are polypeptide chains that fold into a spherical or globular shape. They are water-soluble and contain several different types of secondary structures such as alpha helices and beta sheets. The second type of protein conformation are, pro are fibrous proteins. And these are polypeptides arranged in long strands or sheets. They are water-insoluble because they contain lots of hydrophobic amino acid residues, but they are strong and flexible. An example of a fibrous protein is collagen, which is the most abundant protein in body. And it's found in connective tissues such as tendons, our ligaments, skin to give it its elasticity, as well as our bones and muscles. Collagen is packed together in long, thin fibrils that act as supporting structures. It contains many repeating glycine and proline amino acids to form a helix, and these three helical strands then twist together to form a, a triple helix called tropocollagen. These collagen triple helices are then bundled into long collagen fibrils to form larger fibers that make up the collagen structures in our body. Now, newly made proteins must fold from a linear chain into a 3D structure. This folding process is facilitated 
by molecular chaperones and ATP hydrolysis. These special proteins called chaperonins facilitate the correct folding of proteins by binding to and stabilizing hydrophobic-prone residues in polypeptides to prevent it from premature folding. What it does is it creates a hydrophilic environment for the correct folding of the polypeptide. When there are extreme changes in the pH of a solution, the salt concentration or the temperature, or when detergents are added to a protein, it can then denature the protein. This causes irreversible folding of secondary and tertiary structure and destroys the biological function of the protein. This causes a disruption of hydrogen bonds, ionic bonds, as well as disulfide bridges. The peptide bonds of the polypeptide chain still remains intact. However, proteolytic enzymes in our stomach, such as proteases, can cleave peptide bonds during protein digestion. The solubility of a protein depends on the pH as well as the salt concentration. Most globular proteins are water-soluble, unlike fibrous proteins. By increasing salt concentration, this increases solubility of the protein because salt ions reduce electrostatic interactions with neighbouring proteins. And by changing the pH of the solution, this can then change the charge on the protein. So when pH is equal to pi, which is the isoelectric point of the protein, the protein can carry then both positive and negative charges and form salt bonds that bond the protein molecules into aggregates. This causes the protein to then precipitate with low solubility. When pH is less than pi of the protein, the amino acids become protonated then the protein is positively charged. When pH is more than pi of the protein, the amino acids become deprotonated and the protein becomes negatively charged. The protein can then be separated by charge using gel electrophoresis or by also its molecular weight using dialysis. Proteins can also absorb UV light at 280 nanometers if it has aromatic side chains such as phenylalanine, tyrosine, and tryptophan. Now we know that proper folding of proteins is essential to their function. What happens if protein misfolding happens? Misfolded proteins can cause abnormal protein to aggregate to form amyloids. These amyloids are then insoluble in water and can harm tissues and damage organs wherever it deposits. About 20 different diseases are caused by amyloid deposits. This amyloid is formed from a secreted protein that accumulates in the extracellular space. And when these aggregates of misfolded proteins form in the brain, they can cause neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, and frontal temporal dementia. Now in patients with Alzheimer's disease, it is found that these patients have amyloid plaques in their temporal cortex. How are these plaques being formed? Amyloid beta proteins is formed by proteolytic cleavage of amyloid beta precursor protein, which is a membrane protein expressed in many tissues, 
especially in the synapses of neurons. Two enzymes, which are beta-secretase and gamma-secretase, cleaves the remaining polypeptide, creating an intracellular and extracellular amyloid beta. The extracellular amyloid beta peptides fold into parallel beta sheets and aggregate into amyloid fibrils, forming plaques. These amyloid plaques then deposit in the brains, destroying nerve cells causing Alzheimer's disease. Now by the end of this session, you should then be able to describe primary, secondary, tertiary and quaternary protein structures and to be able to correlate different disease states to changes in protein structure.